Good morning, Strong Tower Bible Church. You know what time it is. It's time to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I know you've got something to be thankful for, and I know you've got something to praise God about. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 6. That's the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 6. And today I want to encourage you as I encourage myself. And that is, I want to remind you, and I want to remind myself, of the God that we serve. The God that we serve has all power. He is omnipotent, and he can do anything and everything but fail. He is fully capable to fix, to heal, to change, to resurrect, to undo what you did. He, he can do it all. And I just want to remind you who we serve today and that God can not only change us, he can change our circumstances, he can change our families, he can change our nation, he can change the world. And guess what? He doesn't need a whole lot of time to do it. He can do it just like that. And I want to read a story to you today and expound upon a story in 2 Kings about what God can do in less than 20 for hours that he turned impossibility into possibility. He turned it could never happen into, oh my God, it happened. And if he could do it back then, he can do it right now. Amen. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and uh, I am going to entitle this message tomorrow about this time. Tomorrow, about this time, let me pray. Oh my God, I come and I worship you and I thank you, Lord. As I stand before you, I realize, Lord, that I am a worm of a man. That the only thing special about me is that I've been made in your image and I've been saved by your son. Lord, other than that, there is nothing good in me. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace today for how you have blessed me. You've blessed your people. You've made a way for us to have a relationship with you through your son. And for that, Lord, we're forever indebted. And we thank you that Jesus came not only to give us eternal life, but he came to give us abundant life. And so, Jesus, we are your disciples. Would you teach us right now? You said that your disciples abide in your word. So, Lord, we want to get in this word so this word can get into us. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to teach us today. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow, about this time, 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, with everything that's going on right now, I don't know what God will do. But I do know what my God can do. As I said before, he can turn things around in an instant. And in this story, you're about to see that come to light. I'll begin reading at verse 24 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible reads, And it happened. Y'all wait for something to happen, right? Yeah, I am. It happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Let me stop right there. The people of God, the northern kingdom of Israel, their capital was Samaria. 
And so Syria came, a neighboring country, in order to conquer and to defeat Israel, the northern kingdom. So they besieged Samaria by surrounding Samaria so that the people could not come and go. And so it was a wartime tactic to kind of uh, make the people struggle internally so that they would suffer and then be more susceptible to being beaten through an attack. So they besieged or they've surrounded Samaria. Syria has done this to the people of God. And verse 25 says, and there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one fourth of a cob of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So this means that they have been besieged or locked in for a long time. So they did not dare go out and fight against Syria. So they stayed inside afraid. And as a result, time elapsed. And as time elapsed, as time went on, their groceries began uh, to go through a shortage. Their water began to go through a shortage. Um, they're inside trapped. And things are so bad that they have resorted to eating donkey heads. All right. Did, did you see that donkey heads? Now, uh, I grew up playing a video game called Donkey Kong. Uh, that's the only thing I know about donkeys growing up in Baltimore. But here, the children of Israel is gotten so bad from this famine that they are eating donkey heads. Now, now what happened to the rest of the body? Maybe they already ate that part of the body. And then they got to a place where the only thing left is the head. We're so desperate. We're so hungry. We're even going to eat the head. And then it says that they would sell the donkey heads for 80 shekels of silver. So you think the uh, aisles in the grocery stores are empty now when you're looking for some toilet paper. Back in that time, man, when you went to get some meat, there wasn't any meat. But there were some donkey heads on display. And if you had 80 shekels of silver, you could get yourself a donkey's head to eat. So I know it's bad right now. But it could be a whole lot worse. Amen. Uh, because nobody's asking you to eat a donkey head. And the price of a donkey head is high. It's exorbitant. It's like a delicacy. Why do you say that? Because in that time, if you were to buy a slave, the general price of a slave was 30 shekels. And that's what Judas would sell Jesus out for. 30 shekels or 30 pieces of silver. And so a donkey's head is twice the price of a human being. So this is a precious commodity now because of the famine. And not only that, y'all, y'all, it, it goes from bad to worse. <laughs> not only are they eating donkey heads, they're eating the droppings of pigeons, of birds, of doves. They're, they're eating bird uh, feces. <laughs> y'all, it's bad. You know it's bad when you got to eat the waste of a bird. And they were selling that for five shekels uh, for one-fourth of a cab. I don't even know what that is, but that's too much. I don't even need that. But that's how bad it was, y'all. So can you be encouraged right now? Come on now. I know it's tough. I know it's different. But it ain't that bad. And we pray to God it never gets this bad. Verse 26. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, 
Help me, Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. That don't even need any explanation. Do you see how bad times were for the northern kingdom? Donkey heads, dove droppings, and they've resorted now to cannibalism? Eating their own children? Boiling them? They have sank to an all-time low. And so that king, he was devastated. He didn't know what to do. But God puts us in places like this, especially if we have a little bit of authority, to look to the one that has all authority. That if you're a king and you can't fix it, let me look to the one who is the king of kings. Lord, only you can fix this thing. And I pray for all of our leaders, mayors, governors, pastors, uh, heads of homes, heads of state, our president, that we would humble ourselves and look to God and say, God, help us through this. God, give us wisdom on what to do. Because it says in verse 30, now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God, do so to me and more so if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. So now here, here's something you need to know. Every king in the northern kingdom was wicked. Not one king in the northern kingdom served God, whereas in the southern kingdom, Judah, there were a few kings that did serve the Lord with their whole heart. But in the north, they were all idolaters. And so what this king does is he blames someone else for it. He says, this is Elisha's fault, the man of God. So rather than pointing a thumb, he points a finger. Now, this ought to remind you of the sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago about Elijah, who was the uh, predecessor to Elisha. He was the father, the spiritual father of Elisha. And during his age, there was a drought and famine. And it was King, uh, who was married to uh, Jezebel, Ahab, who was off and who was wicked, who was a Baal worshiper. And so now in Elisha's generation, he's having to deal with the king and he's being blamed just like Elijah was blamed by Ahab for what's going on. What does all that mean? In every generation, there's going to always be some sort of catastrophic issue problem, scenario, something of global proportions, a, a pandemic in every generation. So what we're going through in 2020 is nothing new. Um, there have been past generations that have battled and gone through cases of influenza and Ebola. So there, there have always been things happening in every generation. And now it's just our time. And once again, things change. Nothing new under the sun, but the one over the sun does not change. We trust him. So the Bible says in verse 32, but Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer, 
has sent someone to take away my head. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him or the king is coming right behind the messenger. And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Chapter seven, verse one, you ready? Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seal of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Did you read what I just read? The prophet said, tomorrow about this time, there will be an abundance of flour and barley at low, low prices. Oh my goodness. Verse two, so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? In other words, he's doubting not only what the man of God said, but more importantly, he's doubting what God is capable of doing. So he says, uh, look, if God would make windows in heaven, could this thing happen? And the Bible says, and he said, in fact, Elijah said to him, you shall see the miracle with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Mm. So let me ask before I read on, do you believe that God can turn your situation around in a matter of moments, in a matter of hours, in a matter of days, in a matter of months? Um, God is not bound by time. We know that God enters into time and he can turn things around, which is a miracle. Do you remember the story when the paralytic was uh, lowered to Jesus down through the roof while Jesus was in someone's house? And they lowered the paralytic down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looked at the man lying there on the mat, crippled. And he said to him, your sins are forgiven. And then there was a stir in the room, especially amongst the Pharisees, because they began to say to themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, because he's omniscient, he says to the crowd, speaking specifically to the Pharisees, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. Well, so that you know that the son of man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. And the paralytic got up and he walked, had a brand new walk. I'm sure he had a holy dance on him. But he also had his sins forgiven, which was the most important thing. What's the point? Jesus said, it's easy for me to do that. It's easy for me to forgive people. And it's easy for me to do the impossible and heal people. That's our God. He can flip it. He can turn it. Nothing's too hard. It's easy to him to do a miracle. Here we go. Buckle up. Verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 7 now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. 
And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. Oh, my. So God calls them to hear the sound of armies coming against them. Now, we know that's not the case because uh, the king of Israel did not unite with these other nations. The king of Israel wasn't even praying to God, but somebody was. We know Elisha was praying. We know there were people of God praying. And God caused such a sound to hit that camp that they got up and ran for their life. You know you scared when you leave your horse and start running. You know you scared when you leave all your food, your supplies, and you're running for your life. God made that sound happen. And watch this. The Israelites inside of the city did not hear the sound. Only the Syrians heard the sound outside of the city. Don't you tell me my God can't do miracles. Don't you tell me that he can't do things. God doesn't always have to work conventionally. He can work unconventionally, y'all. Praise God. So they heard a sound and they got up out of there. And God allowed some lepers, outcasts, um, the lower rung of society. People who really, they kept social distance away from those people. God allowed the last to be first. He allowed the outcast to be the hero of the story because these dudes roll up on that camp just saying, if we live, we live. If we die, we die. We're just going to go over here to them. And when they go, the whole place is empty. Look at verse eight. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Now, I may have leprosy, but I'm still going to look good. And, uh, and then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp. And surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we're hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. So the king don't trust it. Verse 13. And one of his servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses, which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. 
so let us send them and see. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king, Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. Now when I see that word plundered, it reminds me of when the children of Israel had come out of Egyptian bondage and they plundered the Egyptians and received from them gold and silver. So what God did in that generation, he's now doing in this generation and he'll also do in your generation and in my generation. He's going to make sure we not only have what we need, he's going to make sure we have at times more than what we need. We have enough and then some because he's the God who knows how to get the plunder into the hands of his people. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for who? The righteous. And the Bible says in verse 16, the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Happy days are here again. Oh, man, they are throwing down. Ain't nobody thinking about no donkey heads right now. Ain't nobody thinking about eating dove droppings right now. Man, we've got flour. We've got grain. Oh, man, he can turn it around. Now, watch this. Verse 17. Now, the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God has spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to be like this man who doubts what God can do in a space of 24 hours. Now, we know what he can do with three days. He can save our soul for all eternity in three days. And we know he can feed people in a day from a drought, from a famine. Man, you don't even got to give God a second. He, he can turn it around in a nanosecond. But I don't want to be like this guy who doubted God. If God were to make windows in heaven, it wouldn't be possible. Well, don't you know there are windows in heaven? And God knows how and knows when to pour out blessings that we don't even have room enough to receive. He knows how to flip it, turn it, change it, heal it. And the Bible lets us know that this guy saw what was going on. He saw it, but he didn't experience it. Why? Because he didn't have the faith. And he ended up standing in the gate. Don't miss this. Getting trampled by the people of God who were running into the city or out of the city to get their blessing. He got trampled while folks was going to get their blessing. Oh, Lord, I want to be those folks that's going to get my blessing, man. I'm running. I'm believing God. I'm thanking God. I'm praising God for this great blessing. And when I get there, I'll enjoy it. 
So today, I just want you to know God can turn things around. Tomorrow, about this time, anything can happen because God is in control. Oh, my goodness. Never forget what our God is capable of doing. I started thinking about some stories in my own life where I've seen God turn things around for me. Um, there are many. Here's one. I remember when I was a college student in the 80s. I went to school in 1986 and uh, I took out a student loan like so many people so I could make it through school. So then I get into my second year, my sophomore year, and when I come into school this time, um, I'm called to preach. God had called me to preach over the summer. And so now I declared my major. Um, I ended up dating Darina. So things are changing in my life. I'm selling out to the Lord 100%, giving him everything. And um, we come up to this school bill thing again. So um, I didn't want to take another loan out because, you know, man, I, I didn't want to pay that first one. And we were doing rap music, just like Thomas III back in the late 80s, and the president of our university heard about what we were doing and how we were going around the country sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he would invite us on his television show to rap. So we were getting national attention and coverage. And uh, one day we're in his office and he says to me and the other members of my group, he says, um, what can I do for y'all? What can I do for y'all? And uh, one of the members of our group, it was uh, Pastor D, Daryl Fitzgerald. He said to this man, he said, well, if you really want to help us, you can help us with our school bills. And at that point, the president of that university said, it's done. It's paid for. Not only will I pay for your school bill, I will pay for your schooling for as long as you want to attend at this university. So in just a matter of moments. We went from being dependent on school loans and really being broke to this thing being turned around to having a scholarship, full scholarship, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, and then into seminary for my master's degree, all paid. So whenever I would go into the line back then, you, you didn't do a whole lot of checking in by computer. You had to stand in line and I would stand in line and I would stand and I would get up to the front and they would be there with the computers and they wouldn't know how much money you could put down. Every time I would say, I'm under scholarship. My, my schooling is paid for. And they would check the computers, boom, paid. You may pass on, sir. So I saw God turn my financial situation around just like that. And I have so many stories of God turning things around. Another thing he turned around was a person. He turned a person around in my life. And that is my older brother, Harold. Many of you know Harold. And I don't want to tell his whole testimony. Many of you have heard his testimony. But there was a time where um, my brother had succumbed to alcohol and drug addiction for many, many years. Um, and he was addicted. And it was bad. And we prayed for him and we would have interventions and we would try to help. He would go to jail and so many things going on in his life. And as I told him, I'm ashamed of it, um, but I had given up on my brother. I had prayed my last prayer, but my mother kept praying. My mother kept praying for my brother. And, uh, but I had given up. 
because he would change, but he wouldn't stay changed. He, he would get right, but he wouldn't stay right. And so I just got tired of it. But there came a day where I talked to my brother on the phone. He was in Maryland. I was here in Tennessee, and I heard a change in his voice. He had truly met Jesus, and Jesus had delivered him from his addiction to substances. And he just needed his younger brother in Nashville, in Franklin, to help him out. And so I went and brought my brother to Tennessee, and the rest is history. But I got to see God turn a person around that I didn't think could turn around. I got to see God salvage a person that I didn't think was salvageable. And I'm so glad that God not only had mercy on my brother, but he had mercy on me to show me that he's capable of doing the impossible. So no matter what habit you may be under or someone you know is under an addiction, God, our God, is able. We sing that at church, don't we, about how our God is able. He's able, he's able. And then a final story, um, back in 2016, when our church was going through a major change and shift, our finances were depleted, uh, many members had left, and we were just in a hard season, but we knew we needed to hire an executive pastor. We, we were able to hire Pastor Jerry and Donna, and the girls came in from Seattle, Washington, and he was coming to set things in order. And as he came, one of his first Sundays, or rather one of his first days where he had to pay the mortgage for the church, um, there wasn't a whole lot of money in the bank. And as the new executive pastor, he's trying to figure out how much money do we have because the mortgage was $11,000 a month on our loan for the building. And so he couldn't really see from the computer how much we had. He's, he's still learning the church's accounts. So he decides to write a check and to take the check to the bank in hopes that when he gets there, they can tell him how much is there and if the check he's writing will be covered by what's there in the bank. But before he goes to the bank, he decides, you know what, let me just check the mail because I don't want the mail to stay here all weekend. So let me just check the mail before I go to the bank. And when he checks the mail, you know, there's all kinds of little things in there, little letters. But there was an envelope. And it was a contribution envelope. And inside of it was a check for $8,000. $8,000. So when Pastor Jerry went to the bank, regardless of what was in there, he knew we had enough to pay the mortgage on the, on the church. God turned it just like that. He didn't go there looking for money. He just went there to get the mail. And in the ordinary of just checking the mail, God did the extraordinary and provided what the church needed. So you be encouraged in this season to know who your God is and what he is capable of doing. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, may we believe you. May we trust you. May we realize, Lord, you can do the impossible. You can still do the miraculous. Lord, would you heal bodies in the name of Jesus? Would you provide for people, Lord, who have lost employment, have lost money? Would you provide supernaturally for them as they're waiting on you to provide in the natural way? Lord, do the supernatural. Lord, I pray that you would heal 
marriages and families and relationships. That you would deliver folks, Lord, from addictions. That, Lord, you would help this nation and the world to turn to you so that you can turn this thing around. We love you, God, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.